So the first of our two Bible readings is taken from James chapter 1. So when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Now moving on to Exodus chapter 20. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Thanks for that, Jonathan, and good morning again, everyone. As, as Brian said before, this morning we're, we're finishing off a sermon series that I think we started about four years ago. It was, it was before, before my time here, anyway, uh, looking at each of the Ten Commandments that God gave to his people way back in the book of Exodus, near the start of the Bible. Uh, so to set the scene, God has just rescued the Israelites from 400 years of slavery and oppression in the land of Egypt, and, and he said to them, if you obey me. If you obey me, you'll be my people, my treasured possession. And then he's given them this this list of 10 commandments that go right to the heart of who God is and and how he wants his people to live in response. And they're kind of like a summary of all the other laws that he's about to give them. Uh, And the first nine of these commandments, which we've looked at in a scattered procession over the last few years, they're, they're fairly public concrete kinds of things like don't bow down to other gods don't murder don't steal the the sorts of things where generally if you do them it's it's pretty obvious that you've done them and for the most part it's pretty clear why god would command each of these things Um, of course god doesn't want his people turning to other gods he wants them worshiping him and people are going to be much better off in a society where there's no murdering or, or stealing or lying or cheating Uh, But then we get to the 10th command, and it's quite different. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, So in other words, God's people are, are not to live with an envious desire for what other people have. They're not to desire their neighbor's wife, or his servants, or his property. Now, unlike murdering your neighbor or or stealing from him, coveting is very hidden, isn't it? Uh, Which makes us wonder, is is it really that bad? Isn't coveting a bit of a victimless crime? Does does it really affect my neighbor if I'm sitting at home thinking about how much I'd like to have his ox? Um, You you might have heard an 80s song called Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Um, It goes something like this, Jesse is a girl. No, sorry, Jesse is a friend. Jesse's not a girl. Jesse is a friend. Yeah, I know he's been a good friend of mine. 
But lately something's changed. That ain't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl and I want to make her mine. And the rest of the song is basically about how he's crazy about his mate's girlfriend, but he knows he's got no chance with her. Um, and it's pretty clear that the only person being affected by all this is the poor, lovesick guy who's, who's writing the song. So where's the harm in coveting? Well, as with the other nine commandments, this law is here to, to teach us something important, both about ourselves, but also about God. And this 10th commandment in particular, it shows us that God doesn't just want us to be obedient on the outside. He wants every part of us, beginning with our hearts. And so we're going to ask three questions this morning. Firstly, what does coveting look like for us today in a, in a world where most of us don't have oxes and donkeys and servants? Um, secondly, why is it a problem? And thirdly, if it is a problem, how do we avoid it? Um, so firstly, what does coveting look like? And as, we, as we've just mentioned, it's, it's very much a heart issue. It's, it's a desire I have for something that's not mine. Someone has something and, and, and I want it. I'd, I'd rather I have it than they have it. Uh, the commandment in Exodus, we, we see it illustrated with a couple of really concrete, tangible examples. So don't covet your neighbor's wife or his servant or his donkey. Um, so, so don't set your heart on someone else's physical property or the, or the significant people in their life. And there's obvious modern day application for that, isn't there? It's just as easy today as it was 3,000 years ago to, to desire someone else's spouse or their material possessions. That new car in my neighbor's driveway that's way nicer than the car that I drive. Although I was reflecting personally on this command, and, and the more I thought about it, the more, the more I think that in our materially rich society that, that we live in now, coveting is generally going to look a little bit different for us. So if I decided, for example, so Brian's service leading this morning, I'll pick on him. If, if I decided that I really liked the jumper that Brian was wearing, I'm, I'm probably not going to stay up late at night scheming about how I can get my hands on, on Brian's jumper or how I can steal it from him. I'll probably just ask him where he bought it from and go and buy one myself. There's, there's probably a hundred of them at the shops. So I think, I think on the whole, we're more likely to, to covet people's life circumstances. So their abilities, their achievements, their, their popularity, things that we, we can't easily steal from them. I think I'm less likely to, to covet the car in my neighbor's driveway, but I'm more likely to, to be jealous of his financial position to be able to, to afford that car. Um, so in other words, coveting for us, it's, it's generally going to be a, a bit more of a subtle heart issue than wanting someone's donkey. And I, I can think of plenty of examples in my own life where I think my heart has strayed into this sort of territory. Um, I grew up with a, a younger brother who just ran rings around me academically. So every time there was one of those national science competitions in schools, um, you could bet that he would get a high distinction and he'd probably get some merit award for topping the state or the country or something like that. And I'd, I'd scrape in with a credit if I was having a good day with it. And, and I'd wish that I was the smart brother. I'd, I'd wish that I was the one who had awards plastered all over the, the fridge. I'd wish I was the one that I overheard mum boasting about on the, on the phone when she was talking to people. I'd, I'd resent that, that he was and I wasn't. Uh, on a more serious note, um, four of our really good friends 
had babies born around the time that Alicia and I lost a baby, our, our first baby, uh, in a miscarriage. And it was really hard to be happy for them at that time um, because I, I felt that we should have what they had at that time. Uh, so can you see that that sort of heart attitude, it can arise in all sorts of different situations. Uh, which brings us back to the question of why it's a problem. Why is coveting a problem? And at a basic level, coveting is a problem because it's unloving to God and it's unloving to people. Um, so in other words, it goes against the two big laws that God gives to his people, loving God and loving our neighbor. Uh, coveting is unloving, firstly, to people because instead of loving the person, I'm, I'm desiring their stuff. I'm, I'm turning that person into an object. They're basically, they've become a barrier to my happiness. Uh, and coveting what they have, it, it plays into our heart. It leads us to, to silently resent them. And, that, and that's an attitude that can then overflow into how we treat them or how we speak about them. Uh, so coveting is unloving to people and it's also unloving to God as well. Um, way back at the, the start of the, the Ten Commandments, we, we saw that the first commandment God gave was, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, so the Ten Commandments begin with having no other gods, and they end with not coveting. Um, so in other words, from top to tail, the commandments are all about desiring God, living for God, treasuring God above everything and everyone else. And when we covet, we're looking at things and we're desiring those things instead of God. Uh, and not just that, but we're, we're desiring things that God has chosen not to give us at that time, but to give to someone else. Uh, so coveting is an unloving heart attitude just, just on its own. And it can also lead us into other areas of sin as well, there's a, a verse in the Old Testament book of Proverbs that says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And it's not hard to see as we, we read through some of the other Ten Commandments that, that things like stealing, adultery, murder, that those, those sort of things, they, they flow out of a heart that desires the wrong thing. So when we're coveting, it's a bit of a slippery slope to breaking the other commandments as well. And in fact, in our New Testament reading in James, we, we see something of this progression from, from desire to sin. James tells us that, that um, after sinful desires have been conceived, they, they give birth to sin. Our desires put us on a path towards sinning with our words and our actions. And if we, we fast forward a, a couple of chapters through James, um, he shows us a little bit later that the relational damage that coveting can cause. Um, he says, um, what causes quarrels and, and fights among you? Um, they come from the desires that battle within you. You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. And so we can see that, that coveting is unloving, both to God, but also to other people. And not just that, it's just bad for us as well. There's another snappy little verse in the book of Proverbs. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Coveting and, and envy, it's just a, a destructive heart attitude to have. It's, it's not good for us to be in that state. It's a, it's a desire that will never be satisfied. It's, it will always want more. 
envy just has this way of rotting us on the inside. Um, now, you might be wondering, uh, where is the line between a reasonable desire and coveting? Because desire isn't a bad thing. We, God is a good God, and he, he gives us good things that he wants us to enjoy. But in the world we live in, a world that's been broken by sin, that there are going to be good desires that we have, reasonable desires that we have that go unfulfilled. Um, so where is that line? Where, where does a reasonable desire turn into coveting? Um, maybe you'd love to be married, but, but you're not. Uh, maybe you'd love to have children, but you don't. Or, or maybe you do have children, but you, you don't have the relationship with them that, that you'd like to. Or, or your children are struggling in some way, or, or they've walked away from God. Uh, maybe it's financial hardship that, that you're struggling with. You'd love to be financially secure, but, but you're not. See, all of us, everyone here this morning, we'll, we'll all have good, reasonable desires that, that have gone unmet in our lives. And almost certainly, if, if you look around the room, there, there's going to be someone in this room who has what you want but don't have. And so at what point does, does a reasonable longing become coveting and, and, and envy and jealousy? Well, I think the answer to that question lies in what we do with that longing, or rather what that longing produces in us. How do I deal with not having what I want? How do I respond when, when the thing that I deeply desire is unattainable, particularly if the, the person next to me has it? How do I respond to God? Am I, am I bitter towards him about it? How do I respond to the people who have what do I want? Am I, am I bitter towards them? Do, do I deep down want what's theirs to be mine instead? Uh, this commandment not to covet, it, it teaches us something about God. It, it teaches us that God is worthy of our desire. But it also teaches us something about ourselves as well. There, there was a reason that God had to give us this commandment. Because he knows our tendency to, to desire the wrong things and, and to not be satisfied in him. Um, which brings us to, to the final question. What's the solution to coveting? How do we guard ourselves against it? Well, coveting, when, when you boil it down, coveting is about being discontent. And so the opposite of coveting is having contentment. Having contentment. In God. So, in other words, we're, we're replacing the wrong heart desire with the right one. And I, I think there are two, two key parts to this contentment that, that we need to understand. Um, firstly, it's, it's recognizing what and who we have in Jesus. Um, so, if we, if we know Jesus, then we know far more about God than the Israelites did when they received the Ten Commandments. Um, because Jesus shows us the beauty and the goodness of God in human form. In Jesus, we, we have a saviour who has laid down his life for ours. We have an advocate who pleads our case before God on our behalf. We have a friend who knows the worst things about us and, and loves us still. And we have a king whose rule will never end and never fail. In Jesus, we, we have everything that we could ever need. 
And the more we value him, the less we're going to value the, the things of this world, the things that might distract us away from him. Uh, we heard James in, the, in that reading warn us about desire, giving birth to sin. And, but he then reminds us that actually in Jesus, we're part of a much better birth story, uh, that God has chosen us through Jesus to, to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Uh, so in Jesus, we're, we're born into a new life, a new identity. In the, the book of Philippians in the New Testament, Paul, Paul tells us, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's his secret to contentment that he has? Well, it's what he's been talking about all the way through the book of Philippians. It's, it's recognizing that knowing Jesus is the best and the most important thing. Everything else is, is just rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. And so contentment in God comes firstly from recognizing what and who we have in Jesus. And secondly, from trusting God to provide what we need. Uh, as we heard in, in James before, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. In other words, God is good. God doesn't change. God gives us good things. And, and knowing his character gives us permission to be content. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us to, to keep our lives free from the love of money and to be content with what we have, knowing that God will never forsake us. If God sent his own son to meet our greatest need by bearing our sin on himself so that we could be saved, is he really going to shortchange us in other ways? No, we, can, we can trust him to do what's right in, in all seasons of life. Uh, there's nothing in my life that, that won't make complete sense one day. There's, there's lots of things that don't make sense right now, but... On that last day, when we, when we see God's plan for us, we, we'll know that it was all for a reason. Now, I've got a, got a two-year-old boy called Rory, and as a parent, I, I withhold things from Rory all the time, things that he wants. Um, I don't give him the, the dessert that he wants all the time. I don't play the music that he wants all the time. I, I don't give him the freedom that he wants all the time. Uh, does it make sense to him? Never. <laughs> Never at all. But, but I do it out of a deep place of love that, that I hope he will understand one day. Uh, so being content in God, it means treasuring Jesus and it means trusting God's goodness and provision. And I think one way that we can, we can go about doing that, just thinking practically, is with a balanced prayer life. Um, I think prayer can easily turn into a bit of a, a, bit of a shopping list. Kind of, I, I think that's, that's how we, we kind of naturally default to when, when we pray. We've, we've just got a list of things that, that we're asking God for. And, and you know, there's, there's something really right about that. God is a, a, our Father. He wants us to bring our needs and our desires before him. But it's also right for us to, to praise him, to, to gaze on his beauty and his awesomeness. It, it's right for us to, to confess our sin to him, to, to acknowledge the ways that we, we get it wrong as we try to live for him. And it's right for us to thank him for the, the particular blessings that he gives to us each day. 
Um, I found the, the ACT prayer model, one, one that's been really helpful for me personally in my prayer life. It, it stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication, which is basically a fancy way of saying asking. It just acts, sounds better than actor or whatever it would be. Um, if prayer is a shopping list, I, of course we're going to be discontent because, and of course we're going to covet things because basically we see God as a supermarket. You know, if, I, if I go to do my weekly shopping and I've got 30 things on the shopping list and, and the supermarket's got 28 of those things in stock, I'm going I'm to be coming home going, oh, Audi didn't have eggs again, Audi didn't have bread again, why don't I shop at a real supermarket? If, imagine seeing God that way. Having a, a, a balanced prayer life helps us and guards us against having that sort of attitude towards God. Uh, and so to sum it up, coveting is its a heart attitude that's unloving both to people and to God. And we, we, guard it against, we guard ourselves against it by making sure that we're, we're treasuring Jesus and we're trusting in God's provision. Um, I do want to finish, though, just by acknowledging that, that coveting can so often emerge from a genuine sense of grief or loss in our lives. It's, you know, it's not just that the, the neighbor's car is a little bit nicer than mine or my brother gets better grades in school than me, but, but rather that there's a major source of disappointment or, or pain or grief in my life that's causing this heart issue. And you know, it's, it's right and good to, to treasure Jesus and, and to trust in God's provision, but, but that grief needs an outlet as well. We, we actually need a way to be able to, to deal with that. And, and God has provided in the Bible, he's, he's provided us with a way to, to grieve and to be able to express our grief to him as well. It's, it's called the language of lament in the Bible. Now, I don't have time to, to cover this as thoroughly as I'd like, but um, there's a really helpful book I read recently. It's, it's called um, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, written by a guy called Mark Vrogop, I can't really pronounce the surname. I think he came from the same country that Peter from the All Ages spot was from. Dark clouds, deep mercy. And it goes through some of the, some of the Psalms in the Bible and shows this, this language of, of lament, which, um, the, the language of lament really is what helps us to, to tunnel our way to truth and hope in the midst of the hardships of life. Uh, and he, he summarizes four, four steps in this language. So, so firstly, we turn to prayer instead of kind of spiraling in our, in our grief and, and turning away from God. We, we, we turn to God in prayer. We, we make that decision to bring our needs before him. Um, secondly, we, we bring our complaints before God. We're, we're honest with God about what is going on and how we feel about it and, and why we're, we're disappointed or angry. God, God wants us to be honest with him. And thirdly, we, we ask boldly. We, we bring to God what we want in this situation, we, we ask him to, to answer our prayer. And then finally, we, we choose to trust. Uh, we don't know how God is going to answer that prayer, but we, we choose to trust that he's going to answer it in the best possible way and, and, and the way that comes from a deep place of love for us. So turning to prayer, bringing our complaints to God, asking boldly and choosing to trust God with that. And, and as we process our grief in this way, it, it directs our focus away from ourselves, away from our circumstances, towards God, which of course is the intent, uh, not just of the commandment not to covet, but all of God's word. 
Um, so as we close, let, let's pray that God would help us to do that. Our loving and gracious God, you are worthy of all our longing and our desires. And we're sorry for the, the ways that we treasure other things above you. And we pray that you would, you would grow in each of us a deep delight in who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. And help us to trust your goodness and provision, even when our desires go unmet. Help us to, to bring these things before you, trusting your goodness. And we pray that when we're tempted to covet what others have, that you would remind us afresh that in you we lack nothing at all. Amen.